With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, 92.9thegame.com. Wow. What a week it was. College football overtime coming at you after just a, an incredible week of college football. Week four is in the books, and I have more questions than answers. I, we have a lot of answers, but I still have so many questions. And look, Abe Gordon, we are going to get into a whole bunch of these tonight. Um, week four was delivered on all the hype. Let me tell you, this was big boy football. Uh, this and, and honestly, one of the most exciting weeks of college football of the year. One of the most exciting weeks of college football, at least on paper coming into the day, and then it delivers. What say you? Yeah, that, that was what was most pleasantly surprising about it, is sometimes we do build these weeks up. And, yeah. and we, we give it a nickname, and it's March to the Playoffs, or it's whatever you want to call it. Game whatever, of the whatever. Century, yeah. Sure. Uh, as people are somehow calling Colorado Game of the Week next week. I don't know what that's about. But uh, there's so many opportunities in a season for people to build stuff up, and sometimes it is a letdown. And we had two yeah. absolutely classic games that did not run concurrently. You had one at noon between Florida State Clemson. You had one at mm-hmm. night, Ohio State Notre Dame, potentially two of the four teams in the college football playoffs. And those games absolutely delivered. You really couldn't ask for more when we talked about look at these ranked matchups, look at how big a step certain teams or players can take towards – the playoffs or a Heisman yeah. or a conference championship, whatever it may be. And we actually got that. It actually mm-hmm. delivered on that promise. Uh, and that's just remarkable. I mean, college football is just absolutely the best, man. It really is. I love college football. I, I had my college football shirt on this past Saturday, and it was just the best weekend to have that one on. Uh, the games that we wanted to be close were close. The games yeah. that we expected to be blowouts were effectively blowouts. Uh, and I think that really kind of solidified some of our preconceived notions coming into this season. Uh, but one that I, I was most impressed with is specifically what Ohio State did. Because, Abe, I don't know if you remember, but when we initially talked about this They game, shouldn't I win said, a game that's in the 20s or 10s or teens. I said that, that the that, number one thing yeah. – yeah, I said the number one thing for, for Notre Dame, if they want to win this football game, is make it ugly. Make it ugly. And if they could do that and they can just kind of slow everything down, make it who about who runs the football best, I thought that that team was going to win. And Notre Dame rushed the ball better. I think largely played better defense. I think they they didn't have the skill players, but it didn't matter because they controlled the clock. But they still lost. And I'm very impressed with what Ohio State did. Yeah, I am trying to figure out – obviously, I watched the game, but just thinking back about it, I really don't know how Notre Dame wasn't able to pull this off. We, we have not talked about Ohio – and look, I know what the numbers said coming into the game about Ohio State defensively. No one bought it, right? 
Like this was all okay. They beat Indiana. They held Indiana to three yeah. points. Like congratulations. They beat whoever else they they run amok in in week two and week three. And and, and so their defense on Ohio State side very good in terms of scoring defense, but we didn't really buy into it. What we did buy into was Sam Hartman tossing four touchdowns every time he took the field. That didn't happen. I I think we talk about Ohio State and and the receivers and the running backs and all this stuff, uh, and certainly the quarterback position, and maybe didn't give enough credit coming into this game on just how darn good that defense is. There were a lot of expectations for Estime on the ground, for Hartman through the air. It wasn't there. I mean, look, they put in a good day's work, and and they were okay, but it wasn't there for them. And and that was what was most surprising to me about Ohio State. Now, on the flip side, Notre Dame's defense, the pass efficiency, they they clamped down on Marvin Harrison for most of that game, did an outstanding job on him. Abuka and Stover, who we talked about a little bit uh, on college football game time Saturday morning, they showed up in a big way to help out yeah. McCord. Obviously got that final play and, and the run. Um, but I got an answer on Ohio State's defense. Not going to lie. I thought Ohio State would have an easier time offensively. I was quite disappointed by what I saw. And I know there were some uh, fourth down conversions that didn't go their way that maybe kept them off the scoreboard. and Maybe they could have put up a couple more points. You don't run a jet sweep when you're an inch away from getting a first down and moving the chains. Um, but hey, Ryan Day is going to Ryan Day there for you. So um, it gave me some answers, but I actually left with a lot more questions than I thought I would. I thought I would leave this game and that if Ohio State goes into Notre Dame and wins, that I would place them as clear front runners in the Big Ten over Penn State, over Michigan. I'm not sure that they gained that in my eyes. Really? Yeah, I really am not sure. The lack of offensive production bothered me it, it really did and look not everyone can do on the back end what Notre Dame can do like you have to recognize that and admit mm-hmm. that but what they did against Harrison is maybe a blueprint find a way to get the a linebacker who can a little bit more better cover Stover or safety and maybe you can work some things out um how State kind of got pushed around up front and uh, that was surprising to me yeah and Really, if you take away, and I'm not, I'm not trying to take away anything from their win at all, um, because I was impressed. I don't think they were pushed around quite like you were saying, but that's just my opinion on the matter. Um, I think that they, if they face a tougher team, I don't say tougher team. That's not the right word. If they face a team with a little bit more size and, ta- and talent than Notre Dame on defense, then I think they're going to run into some serious issues. And I still think they're going to have to address the elephant in the room, which Ryan Day did after the game, and we'll get to that here in just a second. But Look, but if you take away a 61-yard Trevion Henderson run yeah, and you take away the final drive of the game where Cotton Court looked like the guy who we expected him to be coming into the season, mm-hmm. Notre Dame wins this game comfortably. And, again, that's not how football works. You win on the gridiron, and it's like you win based off of the plays that you made, and they made the plays that they needed to win. And I'm not going to take that away from them, but – I kind of agree with you. The offense left a lot to be desired. I thought that this was going to be, there was going to be a lot more to scoring. And it wasn't as much the fact that I thought that the, the Notre Dame defense or the Ohio State defense played out of their minds good, per se. It's just more like a little bit of sloppiness. I think the Notre Dame, excuse me, the, uh, the Ohio State defense did play well. Yeah. Um, they, they, they had a good game plan for Sam Hartman and company. 
they didn't let Audric Estime beat them. And largely they did a pretty good job. 175 yards on the ground is a pretty good defensive showing against a team that wants to run the ball a lot. But I still Except have for a when lot they of had questions. the lead, of course. Exactly. Which is, exactly. I don't know what that but, was. That was weird. It was a little weird the way that the game transpired and they gave, that was, they gave that them was, more opportunities. You remember you go you go back to Saturday morning and one of the first things I led with at the very start of the show was this is not about Sam Hartman. It's not about Audric Estime. Uh, th- this is about Marcus Freeman. And, and I think mm-hmm. he got in his own way. Uh, everyone could see that that Ohio State was having trouble stopping that run. They, they weren't getting gashed horribly. But they were moving the change pretty consistently, Notre Dame was. They got cute towards the end of the game. They tried to get some first downs, uh, and Ohio State was able to get the stops. It made no sense to me, but that that was a question I had was Marcus Freeman. How does he handle the moment? Not well, unfortunately, yeah. for fighting Irish fans. You've got four and a half yards per carry in a game that ends 17 to 14. I want to be running the football a little bit more than they were. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of agree with you there. But <clears throat> on top of that – you have 10 players on the field in the final two plays of the game. Yeah. That is just the coaching blunder, I think, of the century. That is – it blows my mind how you have that happened. And and, and I'm not trying to, to sit here and, and bury Marcus Freeman. I don't think it was – I don't lay that at his feet necessarily. And I know, I know he re- recognized that there were only 10 people on the field. I don't know how Ryan Day didn't notice that, um, first off. But, I, I mean, I guess actually in high He's probably he just focused on his own guys. He, no, he noticed it on that final play because there's a an area where they ran shot it. Yeah, where they, they ran, ran the ball right to the left, and they say, "Hey, they don't have a defensive lineman right there," and yet they still almost didn't get it. Um, so that's a different question for a different time, and that's something that if they hadn't gotten that, then I think we would be having a very different conversation about Ryan Day. But they do, and of course, Ohio State wins this game, seventeen to fourteen. I do want to talk about what Ryan Day said after the game because I thought it was. Very interesting. It, remind, it reminded me a little bit of like what uh, Richard Sherman did a couple of years ago. I think it was to Aaron Andrews uh, after a game. And look, these guys are coming off the heat of the moment. They're all fired up, kind of going crazy. But Lou Holtz goes after somebody, and I want to show you that right here. And everybody that beats him does so because they're more physical than Ohio State. And I think Notre Dame will take that same approach. One day later. I'd like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. What he said about our team, what he said about our team, I cannot believe. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio. And it's always been Ohio against the world. And it'll continue to be Ohio against the world. But I'll tell you what, I love those kids, and we got a tough team. He goes on to talk about how much he loves the kids and how tough they are and all the things that they do and everything. But he just sort of loses his mind there in post-game and Kind of an interesting move going after Lou Holtz. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if you use what you got to use to get fired up for a game like this, but going after an 86-year-old Lou Holtz doesn't really seem to be the the move here. What say you, Abe? Well, look, I don't care about his age or his comments in, in regards to Lou Holtz. The, the, this is a guy who's carrying bias onto an analysis stage. And so I, I don't know what else you expected, like he's going to break down and come up with ways that the team he's pulling for can win. He's That's wearing so, Notre Dame gear. Yeah, yeah, it's only natural. So <laughs> I, I have no issues with what Lou Holtz is saying. And honestly, they were pretty close to that being what happened. I, you know, and it fell apart there. So I, it wasn't inaccurate necessarily. Um, look, I lived in Ohio. Uh, I, I've been to Buckeyes games in Columbus. 
not exactly buying the Ohio <laughs> against the world thing either. So like they did the same thing in the in the in the uh, college football playoff semifinal last year. It's Ohio against the world. Oh, blah, blah. Well, no, it's not. Just chill out. It, it, yeah, I, I mean, look, a, a, every team at the top is going to get hated on by the multitude of of everyone beneath them. I think we're seeing that with Georgia now. We've seen it with Alabama. <laughs> We've seen it with Clemson, and for a run there, that was Ohio State as well. And so, uh, yeah, I, I just. I understand wanting to defend your players. I think we saw that in a couple games yeah, out West sure. as well. I don't have any problem with it. Um, I don't have any problem with him calling out Lou Holtz by name. Um, look, we're here to make predictions. We're, we're here to be biased or unbiased. We're here to be analysts. You're not going to get everything right. And in the moment, based on how the game ended up, Lou Holtz got that one wrong. Like, big deal. Like, so what? I, I don't think he, <laughs> I don't opinions. think, well, uh, unlike with what's going on in Colorado with mm-hmm. Dion, I, I don't think Lou Holtz made it personal. I, I don't think he singled anyone out. I, I don't think he said anything that, that, that was an affront to the Ohio state guys. I think he's trying to pat the Notre Dame fellows on the back and, and get them amped up and get them confident and believing that, Hey, we are the tougher team. Uh, I don't have a problem with any of that. And yeah. if you need to take it personally, fine. Um, maybe that would have been better served in a pregame situation, and 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 we saw that as well. But post game, again, this goes back to week one, doesn't it? When, when Deion Sanders said what he said in regards to TCU and people who would counter them out and this or that, whatever. This is a, not a moment to attack Lou Holtz or or to steal shine. This is a moment for you, your staff, and your players to celebrate an incredible accomplishment uh on the battlefield there and, and so to yeah. me it does steal a little bit of the story steals a little bit of the shine and i i just never like seeing that because the guys do deserve some credit for what they did uh over the course of 60 minutes on that field today or uh Absolutely. on saturday yeah yeah and and look this is this is a team that's been dealing with that narrative for a couple of years now and they're the team especially after michigan was able to get over the hump and beat them finally yeah they've been dealing with this narrative that they're not a tough team and yeah. Look, Ryan Day is sick of it, and I understand why you're sick of it. But at the same time, narratives exist for a reason. Stereotypes, sometimes there's a reason that they exist. Sometimes there's a little bit of truth in it. And Ohio State, largely under Ryan Day, has been a bit soft. They just have. But I think some of that has changed with the Knowles defense coming in. Uh, I, I think some of that has changed with the fact that they've, they've got a, a powerful rushing attack. And the quarterback's not throwing the ball over the field. So you have to find other ways to win. And in order to do that, sometimes you've got to do it on the lines of scrimmage. You've got to do it in the rushing attack. You've got to do it with strong, hard-nosed defense. And that's the biggest thing that I took away from Ohio State this weekend. And look, Ryan Day's feeding that to his guys. And if you say that to your dudes, that's fine. Get all fired up. Be all fired up. That's fine. But I don't. Tend, tend to agree that he stole the shine from the players. It's not the same thing as what Dion said week one. Right, it's not. But it's, it's nowhere near that level. He's saying, I'm cheering on my guys, and these are my dudes, and I'll go to battle for them. And, and that's what he's doing. And it's just heat of the moment. Um, But going after Lou Holtz for that and using Lou was, Holtz as the poster yeah. child is just a little weird to me. But look, let's move on because there are a lot of other contenders who we need to get into and discuss. The biggest one I want to discuss right now Florida State and Clemson, because Clemson has dominated the ACC. They've won seven of the last titles, uh, ACC titles. FSU hasn't even been to a title game since 2014. 
In fact, that was the last time that they beat Clemson, and they do it in overtime. It was their boogeyman, but they go to Death Valley. They are much of the much of the game, not the better team, but they still find a way to get it done. I loved what I saw from Florida State. Going to be honest, I was disappointed uh, a little bit. I thought they would have an easier time there uh, in Clemson. And, and I say that because I'm still searching for teams that I think can win the national championship this year. And, and coming into the game, I was waiting to see if I felt Florida State was one of those teams. And in my opinion, where I feel Clemson is, if you're national championship quality, you go in there and handle business with a little bit more ease than they did. Now, that being said, I, I don't want to hear the they haven't won here and blah, 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 and Clemson's won this and it's a home game. And I, I understand that. And that I'm not downgrading FSU. I'm not saying that based on their performance, I no longer consider them national championship contenders. I do. But it would have been – there's like a jump they would have taken. If they go in there and win this thing like 38-17, I'm like, that's the team to beat. Like the one top team based because, you know, obviously Georgia's not figured it out yet. Mm-hmm. I'm still waiting to feel feel out who that one team that I would like really think is the team to beat necessarily. And so I, I thought that was a step Florida State maybe could take with an easy win there at Clemson. That didn't happen, but to your point, this was a game kind of similar to Ohio State Notre Dame where it did not feel like they were the better team for the majority of the game. They get a couple things figured out. Uh, both teams have a couple of drives of success on offense through the late second mm-hmm. quarter and into the third, and then it stalls out, uh, and they find a way to get it done. Uh, obviously, uh, the defensive score and, and get back into it. Um, it. It was an outstanding game. It's an outstanding win for Florida State. It really is. I know I just said I wanted it to be easier for them, but the fact that it wasn't, and and, and we talked about this, right, about the Boston College game, the fact that they're learning certain things that champions need to learn while still winning games is really, really important. And I don't care that Clemson came into this game ranked. I still viewed them – as one of the top 25 teams in the country. Uh, and, and I thought they they showed pretty well for themselves also. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it didn't ultimately work out in the end. Obviously, the story with the kicker and and some of the letdown there, it, it's it's a tough go. Um, and, and I know Sean McDonough made a joke about it, you know, in regards to a Hollywood ending, but the writers are on strike. Um, <laughs> but, but ultimately... Mm-hmm. That's how it goes. Uh, I mean, it was all there, uh, and, and it didn't work out. And it, it's a tough beat to lose in that manner. Uh, I saw a couple smaller schools that had chances to win on kicks also didn't convert uh, later in the night. And uh, it, it, it's it's a tough go. And you talk about like Dabo. I mean, if you're if you're the program like that, you can't be losing games because your kicker's a walk on. You had to call down from New York earlier in the week. Uh, you've got to have something else in the can there. Uh, and, and it was a tough go for Clemson. But Florida State, I think Jordan Travis uh, proved himself pretty well. Uh, I think Mike Norvell proved himself pretty well. And, and they've got some playmakers on both sides of the ball. They are going to be a very tough out. And they're going to take this win quite well. Uh, there's a lot of confidence to be built from going into Clemson 
in handling business. And uh, look, they are right now one of the safer, in my opinion, one of the safer picks to be one of the four teams in the college football playoffs based on what they've done so far and based on what they have remaining. If I had to, yes or no, right now, will Florida State be in the final four? Right now, I would say yes. <clears throat> you didn't See, like that? <laughs> I, so my original prediction from the beginning of the season, I didn't have a team from the ACC. Right. Um, I think this is a huge deal for Florida State. I think this was a great win for Florida State. Um, I don't share in your opinion that they needed to come in and make a statement because winning this football game. They didn't need to. I just would have liked to have seen it to like really prop sure, them up. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Be, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is they do it by seven points in overtime and that's exactly what we're doing anyway. So I, that's why I feel like it wasn't necessary for them to do that. They just needed to get the monkey off their back. And they I did. think they did it in, in good enough fashion and good enough is good enough. You know, uh, I don't care if they do it in overtime. I don't care if they put them away in the third quarter. I mean, it's it's one of those things. They're going to be fine. They're a good football team. Um, Jordan Travis is a killer. Love what I saw from him. Did it with his arm. Passed Chris Winkie for the most touchdown passes or touchdowns re responsible for in Florida State history. That's a big deal down there in Tallahassee. Um, and it wasn't just Keon Coleman. I know he pulled in two touchdowns, but Johnny Wilson – these two, apparently, uh, he said after the game that these two took it personally that uh, Clemson was like just taking them on, man on man, on the outside. They took it personally and made them mad. That's what Jordan Travis said, and they played angry. And, look, Florida State, I think, is a team that can make the college football playoff. I'm not focused on that for them yet um, because we've now seen two weeks in a row, obviously two very different opponents in two very different circumstances. We've seen them struggle. We've seen them struggle. Um, granted, this is a big game for them and a big win. I'm not fully convinced that there's not a letdown game in there for them somewhere. I just can't shake that feeling, you know? So my thought for them, focus on the ACC, keep focusing on, on winning your first conference championship in a decade and the rest will come. But I'm not fully convinced that, that Florida state, won't beat this same Clemson team if they face each other again in the ACC championship game. And that's very likely, I would say. Um, yes, I understand that Duke would have to lose two games. Yeah. I think that's also very possible. Um, there's no divisions anymore. So in the past, I say very likely. Let me, let me walk that back. I, I think there's a very good chance of that happening um, because they have two conference losses and that sucks for them. I did not believe that they were going to have two conference losses. I don't know if they had two conference losses in like the last five, like during a five-year run, but here they are, two conference losses in, in the month of September. But there's a very good chance, let's just say this, that Clemson and Florida State meet again in the ACC championship game. I think Clemson has as good a chance as anybody of beating them for the for in the second appearance if, if it does happen that way. Yeah, I, I, there, there's no doubt based on how close this game is and or was and, and who knows, you mm -hmm. know, if the home field advantage changes a couple things and mm -hmm. how healthy teams are at that point in the season, all that sort of stuff. Sure. Uh, I, I don't know if Clemson's going to get back into it. You talk about a letdown for FSU. I don't even know if Clemson needs a, quote, letdown game to lose again. Uh, we, we, we have talked about it and we'll continue to talk about it for a couple of weeks. The ACC is not as shallow as people think. Uh, Miami, no, pretty good. Duke, uh, they're, they're, even Georgia Tech, uh, Louisville, uh, 
both Florida State and Clemson are going to have to bring their A games every week uh, if they're wanting to get to that point. Florida State obviously has a jump, but especially Clemson. Uh, yeah. There can't be a drop mm. there. So, um, you know, I, I don't even know if they will get back into that point. But I thought they actually showed out pretty well in, in regards to them. I know they took the loss, and I know people want to bury Dabo. They I thought good. they looked like a very good competitive team that's probably a fringe top 10 team. If we're placing Florida State as a top five team, uh, I thought Clemson looked like they're a top 15 team. Uh, they didn't they played more to, the to their, yeah. their talent. They played more to what they should be doing. Kate Klubnick looked bad. Garrett Riley looks like he's frustrated with his, his, his personnel and offense. Uh, I've got a lot of questions about Clemson in general. I, I know like they played well. They played well in a game that I think they had every opportunity to win. But moving on, I do want to move, move out west real quick because Deion Sanders, oh, my God, man. Like, that was as bad of a skull-dragging as I have seen in a very long time. And Dan Lanning, we want to talk about fired-up comments. Dan Lanning had some fired-up comments before the game and then again at halftime. And they – they were just crushed, Colorado. And they had no opportunity to win this game. I I know we talked about this game. We, we, we said it was a 19-point spread or 20-point spread, three touchdowns, whatever it was. We said that that was potentially light. Some people called it disrespectful. If you call it disrespectful, then bet on it. I did bet on it, and I'm, I won a lot of money because Oregon crushed Colorado 42-6. to Shadur Sanders, I, I know you like to talk about Heisman Trophy stuff. He lost the Heisman Trophy in one afternoon after everything. And I'm not going to say that this is something that's going to end their season and they should have hung their heads. They've accomplished a lot. Let's not move the goalpost on them and say, that, well, because they've lost this game, this is now a disappointment. No, they've won three games this year. Many of those games were games that they would never have won if Deion Sanders was not there. Um, so I'm going to give them the full credit that they are owed. But they are not on the same level as the Oregon Ducks, as the Washington Huskies, and as we'll see again next week, the USC Trojans. This was three weeks in the making. There's no doubt about it. And we talked about it after TCU. Uh, we, we talked about it after mm-hmm. Nebraska. And we talked about it after Colorado State. The, the, mm-hmm. This this dream run that everyone was talking about, the energy, the excitement, it, it's coming to an end when they face a real team, and that's what happened. And the, I don't want to say it's frustrating, but it, it's certainly, and I told you so, I mean, we yeah. talked about it. It, it. This game was never going to be competitive. I actually think they've got a better shot against USC than they did against Oregon. But I'll say this, because, my, you know, look, we could spend the next five minutes talking about Colorado being snapped back to reality. I, I want to say this in regards to Oregon. 42 points. They scored touchdowns on six of the first seven drives. Uh, Bo Nix had thrown a bad interception mixed in there as well. But mm-hmm. it's not the offense that took me. That defense is real. And Oregon has had some good offenses. They, they've rarely had a defense that can match. And, and look, it's going to be tough to tell because Colorado's so undersized up front. Mm-hmm. And they already don't have a run game. So, you know, there's a little bit of of trying to figure out exactly what's real and what's not. Uh, but I was surprised. I, I thought Oregon would win this game handily. I thought they would put up upwards of 40 or potentially even 50 points if they needed 
to keep their foot on the gas. They didn't need to, and so they didn't, uh, despite what Dan mm-hmm. Lanning said. Um, but the fact that they only allowed six points and those six points came late was pretty impressive to me. Um, I, I took that away more than anything. I, I mean, Bo Nix is, is – last year wasn't a fluke is what this boils down to. And not that I thought it was, um, but last year was not a fluke, and, and he's in the Heisman discussion. Uh, Oregon is, is to me – and there's some other teams at the top of the Pac-12 – they have been the most impressive based on this one performance. I'm not saying that I think they're better than USC or Washington, but this single performance has impressed me more than anything that Washington or USC uh, has done. And and the good news is, is we'll have a direct comparison next week when SC and Colorado uh, face off. But, but Mm -hmm. I know we're not going to talk about it a ton. SC was not overly impressive. Uh, in their win this weekend. We've talked about their defense. Can they win a national championship with the quality of defense they have? I don't think SC's holding Colorado to six points. Oregon did. And uh, that was a bigger takeaway for me than anything they did on offense. Yeah, and and it's it's not even – I understand Travis Hunter was not in this game, and and I do want to highlight that fact. He's their best player. He's the most important player probably. Um, and he is an emotional leader for this team. He and Shadour Sanders. Those two are, are great players, and they're a lot of fun to watch, and I enjoy watching them. The biggest thing for Colorado in a nutshell, the thing is that's going to keep them back is their defense, that offensive line, and their inability to run the football. Those are three things that every winning team has to do, or at least some combination of those. I understand that you like to throw the ball. I understand that you like to do what you want to with uh, Shooter Sanders just dropping back. But when you face a front seven that can get into your face and blow it up, they sacked him seven times. I think they hit him like another 50. It was just an incredible performance from, from Oregon's defense. But at the end of the day, you have 40 rushing yards. That is how you spell a killer pass attack, a, pa- a pass rush. You run the football. That's what you do. And then on defense, you you have to, you know, have a pulse. Um, Bo Nix destroyed them. Bucky Irving just just, just kill them. They they run they run for two hundred forty yards. Like if you had told me, they they actually had great balance. They had great balance in this game. I was very impressed with what, what Oregon did. And I, I'm not trying to sit here and, and bury Colorado either. Um, at the end of the day, Colorado's got their work cut out for them. They have a very difficult schedule. And I think that they're going to be a better team for this. I mean, Deion Sanders said as much after the after the game. He says, "You might as well beat me now because I'm going to, this is the worst I'm going to be." Well, and I, I don't I, disagree. That, that was the, I do like that comment because I, I love I, that comment. Yeah, and that was where it gets a little dicey for Dan Landing in the coming years because he's right. This is the worst Colorado's going to be. This is not mm-hmm. the best Colorado's mm-hmm. going to be. It is the worst Colorado is going to be in, and ultimately we'll see what develops in the future. Might be the best Oregon's going to be, and, and there's going to be those coming back to each other, and, and uh, you know maybe Oregon stays better than Colorado, maybe they don't, but there, there's going to look. Dion's not going to forget, and, and it's not about the form. Remember this. Score. He'll remember it's this about for the, the comments. Rest of his life. It's about the comments, uh, and not even the pregame comments. I think mm-hmm. Dion can understand those as a coach, how you fire up and motivate your team. The it's comments at halftime that you referred to, when when you're up 42 nothing, or, or maybe it was only 35 at that point, whatever, um, and you come out and say, we're not done yet, Dion wants everything to be made personal, right? 
I don't think Dan Lanning's pregame comments were personal. I, I, I think he's okay with those comments. Now, he wants to turn them into personal stuff, Dion, to, to motivate that. I understand sure. it. But that was not a personal attack on, on Dion or his team. That that was him getting his guys ready, and I think Dion, Coach Prime, can respect that. What he said at halftime, though, is not going to be forgotten. And, and he, he better hope he keeps the upper hand over Colorado because uh, payback is a – you know what, and and that could be coming as soon as next year when Oregon's going to have to work in a new quarterback and Colorado. Well, they, they won't be playing eyes. each other. Oh, that's true. I forgot. Because Oregon's that. going to the Big Ten. No, I forgot about And I guess that. Colorado's going to the Big 12. Well, whenever they see each other again. Well, I just have this Colorado. gut feeling. I got this gut feeling that they're going to play each other again someday, uh, and I am – so here, I'm gonna pull up some pop, pop some popcorn, and get ready to go for that one. That's gonna be a lot of fun. But I do want to, I want to turn your attention to the upcoming schedule for Oregon right now. I, we talked a little bit about how Colorado's schedule is gonna be difficult this season. Everyone knows it. Um, I do want to look at this because they're at Stanford this week, and then they have a bye week. Then it gets fun. They're at Washington, number seven Washington, which might be. We'll, we'll talk. I'm gonna talk about this in my takeaways of the day. That might be one of the most exciting football games of the 2023 season, and I am so here for it. After that, you have Washington State at home, number 16, Washington State. Then you go to Salt Lake City and take on number 10, Utah. You have Cal at home. Then you have USC at home, number 8, USC. Then you're at Arizona State, and then you have number 19, Oregon State at home. That's just a – people dragged the Pac-12 for years for not having depth for not being very good at the top, the Pac-12 is the best conference in college football this year. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and, it's, few weeks, and, and weeks. it's not like we're just looking at Oregon and, and making it as some really difficult run. Like, look at USC's schedule. It's going to be the same thing. L- look I'm at just Oregon looking State's. at it right now. No, no, it's all of them. They it's all play all each them. other, but they all play each other. Yeah. And this is it, one, of the thing, one of the beautiful things is, and one of the not-so-good things for them, too, they have to play everybody. Well, this is why they're going to beat each yeah. other up. They're I've been each pretty other steadfast in in not expecting a Pac-12 team to go 12 and 0, or maybe not even 11 and 1. It's just a, it's a tough ride for every single team in that conference, uh, and, and there's very high potential for teams to beat each other up. But mm-hmm. look, we've said that for how many years in the SEC, and somehow a team always rose. Maybe a team does rise, maybe, but. But there, I, look, I, I just don't feel like any of these teams are necessarily fully complete. Certainly, we know about the defensive concerns on USC. I'm actually not as sure that they're as powerful offensively as some of the other teams in the Pac-12 either. I haven't got a good look at Washington on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I know certainly they, they were up 14 nothing before Michael Penix touched the ball uh, on Saturday night. So kind of hurt his Heisman chances there. Uh, and the first real look I had was Oregon against Colorado, who's limited anyway. So, uh, you know, I talked about how impressive it was, but we're not going to oversell it there either. So waiting to see which one of these Pac-12 teams really feels complete and, and, and maybe can pull ahead. But, look, there's no doubt about it. Uh, don't set your alarm clocks on Sunday mornings because there's going to be a lot of reason to stay up super late on Saturday nights watching Pac-12 after dark, baby. Yeah, and this is the curtain call for Pac-12 after dark. So this is fitting. It feels fitting. And and I, I was glad I stayed up for that USC-Arizona State game. That actually ended up being a pretty good football game. But another game that ended up being a very good football game 
Washington State and Oregon State. This was one that I was kind of bullish on Oregon, Oregon State. I thought they were going to come up and, and get a win and finally get their first win against Pol- over in Pullman for the first time since 2013. Of course, they didn't do it. it, it is, this was a game that was pretty well in hand for Washington State until very late in the contest. Uh, DJ Uyunglele was finally able to you know put together some drives and, and look pretty good in the second half of the game. He looked pretty pretty tough in the early going in this one. They led 28 to 14 at the half, and they had every opportunity to win this game, but it was 21 points from Oregon State in the in the final frame. And they made it a really interesting one right there late. I was really impressed with what I saw from Washington State. Cam Ward, he's a baller, man. 404 yards, four touchdowns in the biggest game of the season. I mean, you got two wide receivers on the outside who both go for 150 plus yards. One with three touchdowns. Just incredible performance from Washington State on offense. Yeah, he also added one on the ground was Cam Ward, and, and this was an outstanding game for him. And we we had talked about him loosely, kind of just keep an eye, keep an eye. He had uh, a big half two weeks ago, and and I think I sent you and John Fricky a text about it. Um, but there was a lot of love for DJU coming in. And uh, look, th- this game, I understand how it ended. I understand what we saw late out of Oregon State. Washington State had won this game in hand. And two, the Oregon State offense having no idea how to move the ball. It it was a really impressive showing until, unfortunately, it fell apart late for them. They still get the win. But it it was just one of those things where, like, for people who didn't watch it, and because you were watching Ohio State and Notre Dame, maybe Mm -hmm. you had an eye on Penn State, Iowa, or any of the other games. If you're a Georgia fan, you were keeping an eye on that one, certainly, whatever. Maybe you didn't see this game. Washington State was really really impressive more so than the final score. Yeah. I, I think there were some, there were some comments made on college game day. I think I they know. called it the no one's watching bowl. Um, that was a shame. And if anybody who wasn't watching this game, they did themselves a disservice. This, these two, two good football teams or Washington state now has two very big wins on the season. Um, they have their winner in the Big Ten, and then now they have Oregon State. They're going to be one of those spoilers. Both of these teams are. They're going to be one of the reasons why the Pac-12 becomes super interesting. Those are those are the types of teams that are going to jump on a Washington or an Oregon or a USC or a Utah, one of those four teams who I think – those are the four teams who I, I really see with college football playoff aspirations that are you know somewhat realistic. These teams, I don't really see that. But they're two good football teams, and they're two teams that are going to give teams the bigger teams trouble down the road. Um, but I really liked what I saw from Washington State just in general. This was just a, a good football game from them. They they control home field, and they largely controlled this football game. But another team that controlled everything from start to finish, the Nittany Lions of Penn State, they dismantle Iowa. I know I say dominate. I think dismantle is honestly a better word for what – Penn State did to Iowa and not even their offense. I I know you see the 31 points and the 31 points look great. It's what the defense did, or at least what the Iowa offense wasn't able to do. Cade McNamara, who I actually saw as one of the more enticing quarterback transfers. I thought that he could go into, into Iowa and potentially be a trendsetter, somebody who could, you know, take that offense to the next level. Poor guy at 42 yards 
42 yards. The rushing attack got 20. As a as a team, they don't even get 100 yards. And I understand the rain and yeah, but the rain had largely sub- subdued and it wasn't as big of a factor as we might have thought going into the game. I know we talked to um, Brian Tripp, uh, the, the sideline reporter, heading into this game, and he said it was li- largely just going to be a steady rain and then it might subside. And, and that's in, in the end what happened. Uh, but Iowa looked just dreadful. They they looked dreadful. And this, but Penn State, they get their first shutout over an AP top 25 team since 1999. They run the ball very effectively. Katron Allen and, and Nick Singleton, they can get the tough yards. They combined for, I think it was, uh, that's the unit they got 200 total yards. Uh, this is a good win. This is a good win. I know you talked about not learning anything from Penn State from this kind of game. I think we learned something from them in the way that they did this to Iowa. I, I, I'm sticking by what I said. Uh, I, I really am. I, first off, I don't know who is the top team in the Big Ten. Let me say that first, okay? That's fair. Might, might be Ohio State. It might be. That's Michigan. why they play the games, and we love that. Right. It might be <laughs> Michigan, and it might be Penn State. I watched a lot of this game, and, and, and obviously the rain did, in my opinion, factor quite a bit. But I, it's nice to post the shutout, but it's still Iowa. Like, I'm just not over – and I'm just being honest. Like, I'm just not overly impressed. And I'll be honest, I was not overly impressed by the Penn State offense uh, for the majority of the first quarter. I, I really wasn't. Um, you know, they, they benefited on some field position and some special teams and some turnovers, and that certainly helped. And again, this is a good win. I'm not taking anything away from Penn sure. State. But I, I felt going in, because I don't really respect Iowa, sorry, um, that all they could do is, is, is at some point disappoint me. Um, mm-hmm. There was no level of positivity to where I could be shocked at what they did. Unless maybe they had gone and looked like Oregon and, and scored on six of your first seven possessions and it's 45 nothing or what? Like, it, it, I didn't expect that's where the weather, but that's where the no, weather is. It's, it's totally fair. Look, Penn State's yeah. not losing anything in my eyes by this, but I just don't know how much they gained by this performance, in my opinion. I, I, I'm still left with a lot of the same questions that I've had uh, about Penn State. And I mentioned this, like you said, with Brian. I mentioned it off air to John Fricky. I just need to see it against Ohio State and Michigan. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that based on how often we've talked up Penn State. And I don't mean you specifically, but just everyone over the last 15 years and how often they've fallen apart in the games that they needed to win. And uh, so I'm playing that waiting game. But I will say this. Drew Aller was smart, didn't cost his team anything. And and that was the most important aspect of what they were doing. Because I've seen games where quarterbacks get a little too wild, a little too crazy, a turnover here and there, and you make a team that shouldn't be in the game, like Iowa, stick in the game. Drew Aller was smart with the ball, controlled the weather, controlled the offense, and played a safe game ultimately in a game that they knew they could win. And, and I think that is an interesting angle uh, for me is Penn State knew they were the better team and just kind of went out businessman like and handled business. The fact that they posted the shutout is just a little cherry on top. Yeah. And it's the way that they did it. And, and I think what you said about Drew Aller is right on the money. You know, when you have a young quarterback and you're fa- playing in a game like this where 
the tempo is going to be slow and you like to get out and throw it and do whatever you want to. No, he stayed within the, the, the confine of what the offense went. They, you could tell what the game plan was. It was very obvious. You want to control the clock, which they did, 45 minutes. They controlled the ball for 45 minutes in this game. And you, you know, know what I like about Allen? not going to do anything. I like the fact that he doesn't appear to care whether his stats are 180 yards or 350 yards. And I love that. I, I love that quality in a co- yeah. quarterback. I think that's the best quality because if you have a, you know that the rushing attack is working and they ran for 215 yards, they ran for 200 more yards than Iowa in this game. Like, I understand that Iowa's offense. I know you said you're not taking a lot from this, but I know that the Iowa offense isn't very good. But damn, that's good. I've just I've just seen Penn State look four dominant. Four first downs. I've just seen they them look so four. dominant and unbeatable, oh. and then they play Michigan or play Ohio State. I agree. They no, don't I look agree. the same. I, I just want to see them. And look, obviously they're not going to beat Michigan, Ohio State, thirty-one nothing. Probably not. I just want to see them look similar to how they looked against Iowa against one of the big boys. And until I see that, I just have a tough time riding with these games meaning more than a. a, a handling business really yeah and, and that's something that I, we we need to see them they need to take the next step and in order for james franklin to get this team over the hump it's not winning games like this it's not winning 10 games it's not winning a rose bowl it's it's beating ohio state it's beating michigan it's playing for big 10 title games winning those title games and eventually winning and compete or at least competing for national title games so that's what you're supposed to be doing yeah. we haven't seen that yet from him they have the one year that they, they have the one big 10 title game and that year, they still got blown out by Michigan. They got in, the, in 2016. They do beat Ohio State in that mm-hmm. season, and they win a Big Ten championship. They still get blasted by Michigan. Yeah, I, we have not. We have never seen them put an entire season together. Here's the thing: flip it with another team we're going to talk about that never gets the credit, is never talked about as a contender, and all they ever do is beat the big boys they're supposed to lose to. And that's Utah, right? I mean, that's what – but, it, I mean, I, I know I we're, like it's a nice segue and it's a good transition, but doesn't it really feel like like it's just – like Kyle Winningham never gets credit. All we do is heap no. credit on James Franklin. All we ever do is say, this is the year Penn State. How many times have we ever said, this is the year that Utah? Never. It never happens. And every single time, whether it's SC, whether it's Oregon, whether it's Washington, you name the team that's supposed to win the Pac-12, they all lose to Utah. And so, real quick, going back to the Big Ten, like that's what I'm hesitant about with Penn State. I just want to see it flip for them because I do feel like this is a team that does have that quality. And then you mm-hmm. look at Utah. And again, they don't have Cam Rising. Um, they're just kind of overlooked in that USC Oregon, Washington discussion. But I'll tell you what, what they did on Saturday against UCLA was an absolute, just, I mean, it, it was perfection on defense. It, it was a an outstanding defensive performance. And yes, if you want to be concerned about what they did on offense, I think Nate Johnson threw two interceptions uh, and they, they didn't really do a ton um, on offense. And I get that. But when Cam Rising Whenever he's able to go, and I know that he was close. Reportedly, he was close uh, to going on on this one. They eventually rule him out pregame. When he gets back and you get, one, his experience, two, his – see, the thing that that Utah stuck with is they got a quarterback they trust to throw, 
and they got a quarterback they trust to run. Cam Rising is a mixture of those two. And when you welcome that back in, uh, along with what looks to be one, well, we already know it's well coached because it's Kyle mm-hmm. Whittingham. It's always well yeah. coached, but also another uh, strong defensive unit. It, it's just, I don't know how many times we're, it's not that we don't count them out, count them out. It's just that we're never counting them in. And, we forget about them. I'm not, about not just no. a minute ago. And not I mean, this year, happens. though. Not, not this year. year. I'm not doing it this team. year because they 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 feel like a complete unit if they can get the quarterback back. They're already what are they ranked 11th or whatever, and maybe higher. I didn't look at the new rankings or I they were at 11 last time. The one I'm so, looking at right now says 11. So I don't know if it's accurate. It, look, they're they're right in that discussion. Keep talking Oregon. Keep talking Washington. Keep talking USC because you know Utah's going to get at least one of them. Uh, and they Oregon are like what, they, three titles in a row. Yeah. Like, they're they're always the hidden gem, and, and they oh. just don't get the credit, don't get the talking points, but they get the job done, and that's what's most important. And they did on Saturday. It, it was very impressive. I thought, look, I really liked UCLA. I really like Dante Moore. He's young. He I, I did. He's young. He, he can probably improve and develop, but boy, he had no answers. They had no clue what to do on offense. I don't remember all of the numbers, but I'll tell you they what. Sacked him seven times. And there weren't that many plays for Utah or excuse me, for UCLA in Utah's territory. It felt like they were always backed up the entire game. Very impressive. I know a lot of people probably didn't watch it because you were watching some of the other games. That's why I have three um, TVs, man. But well, four. But uh it, it was really uh, almost astonishingly impressive how good they were on defense. Not great on offense, but didn't have to be because the defense was was a juggernaut. Yeah. And, and honestly, Nate Johnson. He looked kind of he looked pretty good early in this game. Um, he was pretty sharp, and then they got just so good. they got so vanilla on on offense. I think they realized I, that UCLA couldn't move the ball, and well, at that point, realized, it was just don't don't cost don't yourself lose. the game. Yeah, don't cost yourself. The, don't cost yeah. yourself a loss. You know, and and I think that that's kind of what they did in this one. Yeah, um, it's a good read. That's really at the end of the day what they were trying to do. Just don't lose and. Just continue to swarm Dante Moore. And I was impressed with what that I saw from Dante Moore. Uh, he was a guy who he plays he plays a lot with a lot more poise than I would you would expect for a freshman who got sacked. Not on that first pass. Times. Not on that first pass, <laughs> no. But but you're gonna have that happen. That stuff happens yeah. with freshmen, you know? And the biggest the most impressive thing about what this defense did, I know we've talked about Dante Moore a lot, but Chip Kelly in general, he loves to run the football. He loves to run the football, and I think that's one of the most important facets of his offenses. When he was back at Oregon, that was like the, the biggest thing that he did was he ran the ball effectively, and he would use that to set up the net, the subsequent plays. They had nine yards rushing, Abe. Yeah. They had nine yards rushing. Now that includes sack yardage. Yeah, right. But nine. Nine yards. It's just that sort of thing changes games. It changes games, especially for a team that wants to run the ball and and establish themselves on the ground. If you're able to keep them that far behind the chains, and then you have you you add in the fact that you have a freshman quarterback, I completely understand the decision to go vanilla on offense because UCLA's defense is they, they played really well, and I don't want to take anything away from that because the defense looked good. The defense mm-hmm. their defense looked very good. Utah was just better, man. I just think they're better coached. And I think that this team is – the sky is the limit when you get Cam Rising back. I think we've done them a disservice. Well, actually, maybe we've done, one, I've done them a, a favor by not talking about them as, as much as we as we do, you know, Colorado or, or USC or, or Oregon or Washington or, or, hell, Oregon State or Washington State. 
I feel like we talk about those two teams because they're the upstart teams, the kind of the dark horses, if you will, rather than the three-time defending Big Ten champion. I think They have the longest streak of any team in the Power Five, and that's not a fluke. It's because they're well-coached. They've got an experienced quarterback who hasn't even played. Like, Utah's only going to get better, and I am so excited for what they do down the stretch. Yeah, uh, the, the biggest thing for me is I just hope Cam Rising does get back soon and gets up to speed before He'll they be back next week. I would be I just, shocked. I, when they're playing the Oregons, the USC's, the Washingtons, I want Cam Rising in there. I want to see just how good this team really is. It's so odd to talk about a dominant 14-7 win, but <laughs> yeah. it, it really Weird, was. Right? It really was. It, it was impressive. It was very impressive indeed. And next week they take on Oregon State. They got Oregon State on yeah. a Friday. So for I anybody know. who's watching this podcast, if you are not out there in the field like I am covering high school football, who unfortunately is going to miss most of this game, you should be in front of your TV at 9 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. You should be watching what Utah can do. I think that's going to be a very interesting matchup, especially if it's the return of Kim Rising. I think that's Oregon State playing for their lives at that point. Uh, I think that if, if Oregon State wants to get to that next level, you got to win these kinds of games. Uh, and I think these are two teams who want to run the football. And I think this is going to be a very mid-2000s SEC type of game where you have two teams that play pretty good defense and two teams that want to run the football, you know? And it's funny how that that all of a sudden has turned into what we see out west in the Pac-12 when here in the east we did see that with Alabama. It was ugly. It was ugly. Let me tell you, Alabama does get the win. I, I I don't think Nick Saban cares about how ugly it was. I think Nick Saban likes the fact that he beat Lane Kiffin. I think Nick Saban uh, likes the fact that they are 1-0 in the SEC, and I think that matters more than anything. They got back to running the football. They got back to playing strong defense, and that's really what won the day for Alabama. Yeah, it, it was an odd game. Ole Miss had their chances. They didn't uh, take advantage. And the other thing that was weird for me is Jalen Milrow had a decent stat line, 17-21, 225 yards. He did throw for a touchdown. He threw the bad pick in the end zone, though. And that's – when we talk about Jalen Milrow and what he could do physically, uh, you know, he he ran for 28 yards. He was sacked a couple, so some of that, you know, gets taken back. But – sure. Um, I still don't think they can they can run the table with with, with Milrow at quarterback. He and I know Brandon Adams, who joins us uh, most every college football Saturday, said this as well. But it was enough to beat Ole Miss. Jackson Dart was a disappointment, as were a couple of other aspects for Ole Miss, including Lane Kiffin. Um, but I, Alabama still, I just, it just doesn't feel like it's there still even despite a two touchdown win for them so uh that's something we'll continue to watch in in Jalen Milrow if the throw's not his first read and and an easy throw he gets himself into real trouble and and we've seen that a couple of times with interceptions where it it, one look I mean you should know that that guy is not open you should not be making that throw. There is a safety right there, and it's not the first time that has happened. And that's part of the issue, right? If it was a one-time thing, we've seen it two or three times, though, uh, and that's a real concern. But like you said, they do get the win. Very disappointing for Ole Miss. I, I really thought they they had something to play for here, and I thought they had a shout that maybe they could be 
in that discussion to represent the SEC West. Uh, disappointed mm-hmm. from Jackson Dart. And again, Lane, Lane Kiffin, uh, very disappointed in, in what he had. Uh, just didn't feel creative. It, it, I, I don't know what it felt, but it, it didn't feel like he was – I mean, this is so dumb and cliche in like peewee league, but like didn't feel like he was having fun out there. And it feels like when Lane Kiffin's having fun, that offense is cooking. So and maybe maybe it's the offense is cooking, so he's having fun, a chicken or the egg situation there. But sure. I just it didn't feel like he was loose the way he needs to be loose in a game like this. And uh, ultimately, very disappointed. Look, good for Alabama, uh, but really disappointed in Ole Miss. I, I look, I had this as my upset special. Yeah. Um, I, I was very surprised at how flat Ole Miss was in this game. They played a little bit. I don't want to call it uninspired offense. I think no, that's, that's a good word. I know you don't want to call it, but I'll, I'll do that on your behalf. I think that's a good term okay. for it. Okay. I mean, it, you're a top five offense in the country. Statistically, supposed to be coming into the coming into this game. You're averaging what? Um, just an obscene. I mean, I don't even. I, I don't remember. I, I had the number in my head, but I, it just it's escaping me. But you're 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 playing pretty effective football coming into this game, and. I think ultimately we talked about this. We we almost we alluded to it a little bit. It's a lot of Ole Miss's scores uh, from earlier this season. Many of them are a bit fool's gold esque, you know, where right the the game looks like they covered against Tulane, they covered against Georgia Tech, and it's like oh wow, look at what they just did to this Power Five opponent in the AC. Whatever, blah blah blah. No, eh, let's slow down. Let's actually. Go back and look at what this game was. Big flurries at and the end. They've had big flurries at the They end. had the big yeah. flurries, and we didn't see that at all in this game. We saw a team that was physically outmatched, uh, bullied at times, and was not really able to do anything. And I, I think at the end of the day, Nick Saban will find a way to win football games, and he'll do what he needs to do. And if, if that means just bullying your opponent, if it means just playing bully ball the entire game and 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 – kind of kill like that killer mentality. You think he's happy to do that. I think he's happy to do that. He'll win in whatever way it takes. And Alabama, this isn't a team after seeing this team, we're more than a quarter of the way through the season. This isn't a team that can compete for a national championship. They just can't. They're a team that's going to, I think, win the West. I think they're going to win the West, uh, but there are some really good teams out there. LSU got into a, a bit of a, a knife fight out there and, Death Valley with uh, KJ KJ Jefferson in Arkansas, but that's going to be a tough game for them. Tennessee is going to be a tough game for them. Texas A&M is going to be a tough game for them. Auburn, of course, is going to be a tough game for them because it always is. I'm not fully convinced that Alabama is going to come out unscathed in the SEC West. I think they can. I think they should be the favorite just because they're Alabama, and I'm going to and I'm going to say most of those games are at home. You have Tennessee at home. You have. Um, you have to go to College Station off the top of my head, and but I know that you have LSU at home, and I think when they are playing within the confines of Bryant Denny Stadium, they are a different football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about their record at home uh, under uh, when when uh, Steve Sarkeesian in Texas came into town, and of course they were the first team to beat them in a long time. But I'm not fully convinced that this is a team ready to compete for a national championship. I don't know if that's coaching. I, I don't blame Nick Saban necessarily, but at the same time, this is the second year in a row that this is a team that is wildly underperformed and you win this game by 14 points. I think they won it pretty comfortably, largely uh, considering how ugly of a football game it was. They comfortably won, but I don't know what the next step is for this team. You have to find a quarterback. 
You need to find a more consistent rushing attack. Jace McClellan is fine, but he he's just fine. This offensive line isn't very good. It's, it should be a lot better. It's 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 way too talented to be this mediocre. But this defense is filthy. The defense is filthy, and the defense is going to be enough to, I think, win them the West. But we'll see. Yeah, I agree with a lot of things you said. At the end of the day, though, there's no answer this year because you can't find a quarterback, and that's going to be – It's ugly. It's going to be what holds – they'll be happy to win ugly. No, and that's fine, but but they're not going to win 11 more games ugly or or, or however many it would take to get in and then whatever. It it just – it's not there, and there's no answer for that this year. Uh, The good news is they probably have two five-stars lined up, and and they'll figure it out. But – Dylan Lonergan's a great – Great option. Uh, I think he went to North Cross High School. He's, he's an Atlanta guy. He's an Atlanta guy. It's a four-star recruit. If you keep seeing stuff like that, don't be so surprised if they don't give a freshman the opportunity. Yeah. It, it, look, again, the numbers aren't bad for Milrow. He only had four incompletions. But, again, one of those was picked off. And it's not the fact that he was accurate when they did ask him to throw. It's just – how limited he is with the reads and how often and what sorts of throws he can make. He was bailed out by a couple of great catches, uh, mm-hmm. one by Jermaine Burton, certainly. Um, but, yeah, they, they, Saban normally doesn't do this, but there might need to be a youth movement. I, I know we saw the freshman mm-hmm. receiver, Jalen Hale, uh, play a big role in that game. He was a leading receiver. Only had two catches, but both of them went for some serious yardage uh, and one of them a touchdown. And so – um, yeah, there might be a little bit of youth movement on offense. It's going to be interesting to see how Saban handles this the rest of the way. But yeah, I agree with you. They might be the best team in the West, or, or, or you know, able to do whatever it takes to to represent that division. But this does not feel like a team that's competing for a title this year. No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, which is a bummer because I was really expecting this team to take the next step. Um, I'm not going to say the dynasty's over. Right? I think that's kind of ridiculous and and a, and a little bit too big picture. I think just reacting to what we saw on Saturday is, is I'm just going to keep it at that. And yeah. uh, I think this is going to be a fine football team. This is not a national title contender, but we'll see what they end up doing um, real quick though. Before we get to our takeaways, I do want to give a quick shout out to Georgia tech. Huge, 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 huge win for the yellow jackets. And we both thought that was there for them too. I, I they, they looked great in that game. Um, this is a team that they go on the road and, and they get their first ACC win. First ACC win is the head coach for Brent Key. And they did it in style. They did it with offense. They did it with suffocating defense. Uh, look, at the end of the day, you go and take on a, a pretty good Wake Forest team and you get a win. That is huge for them, especially with their postseason aspirations where they're looking to play in a bowl game. I still think that they can, especially if they're going to win games like this. But I do want to move on into our takeaways of the week. And uh, Abe, I'll start real quick. The best offense in the country, I have no idea who it is. Maybe you have an idea. Some people will say it's Washington. I know it's out west. <laughs> Some people say it's Washington. Some people, I don't know, whatever people want to say. My end-all, be-all is that it is definitely out west. Whether it's Washington, which very well could be, USC, very well could be, or Oregon. You know, those are just the top three offenses by yardage. It's going to be out west. And we're gonna have some fireworks out in the Pac-12. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stake my flag as Pac-12 Chapman for the rest of the season, because that's gonna be the most fun conference. And I, I think we saw just illustrations of that last week. Oregon, of course, goes to we talked about them with what they did to Colorado. They're just gonna continue doing crazy stuff on offense. Washington, we didn't even really talk about them all that much. 
Michael Penix Jr. might be the best quarterback in the country this year. He very well could be. Uh, I think he probably is. They're averaging almost 600 yards of offense through their first four games. USC has the defending Heisman Trophy winner and debatably the best offensive play caller in college football. So it's going to be someone out there. And it's going to be all the more interesting when that team ends up losing to Utah. So who knows? Yeah, to your point, I'm just trying to wait until these teams face each other so I can get a real read on what's real and what's... Give it two weeks. You know, 280 yards against Arizona State or... You know, sure. whatever, whatever it is. I, I just want to see these guys do it against each other. And then, and then we can really, not that I'm not enjoying it now, but then we can really get a feel for yeah. it. You know, my week four takeaway was this felt like a week coming in where teams could separate themselves I- I- into very clear contender tiers. And that didn't happen. In my opinion, it didn't happen for Ohio State and it didn't happen for Florida State. It didn't happen for Georgia. And so now we're left with a jumble of you're going to see a lot of discussion and maybe the rankings themselves won't change, but there's going to be a lot of teams over the next couple of weeks who leapfrog and this is the team to beat. That's the team to beat. We haven't had that in a while. Uh, Obviously the last two years, it's been Georgia and then Alabama before that it was Clemson and Alabama uh, going back with a little bit of Ohio state sprinkled in. There is no clear team that is like a given to make the the playoffs. I I know you talked about not being sold on Florida State, rightfully so. It's very tough to be sold on Ohio State because they just didn't impress the way I would like to. Plus, you know they've got Penn State and Michigan at some point. And and we haven't talked a ton about Georgia. We'll obviously do more of that as they approach this game against Auburn and really ramp things up in the SEC. But they continue to be unimpressive as well. There is no team – and I know Georgia's gotten a boatload of the first place votes, and that's just people being lazy because realistically, there's probably seven or eight teams that deserve first place votes. Oregon deserves a, a, a one or two Six first place votes. Them. Yeah, Texas, Florida State, probably Ohio State now. Uh, I, and so Georgia, I, no, let me just, I have, a, I have it right here. So Georgia is yeah. 55. Yeah. They have 55, and I think that they deserve 55. Until proven otherwise, I think they deserve 55. That's just where they belong. Right? I, I just, I don't do Michigan, the. Michigan I don't do my one. rankings that way. That's all. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. This isn't, but this is also, I mean, it's eight, eight people. I mean, yeah, they, they, it, look, it, they rank a preseason of, and they don't change yeah, until they lose. And that's fine. And, I, that's yeah. not how I would do it though. But Michigan has one. Texas has two. Ohio state now has one. Yeah. Florida state has three. Sure. And then Washington has one. Sure. And again, I, you could probably sprinkle one for Oregon. I wouldn't you have, have one for Penn state. I one for Penn state. I wouldn't even be opposed if someone wanted to say USC. USC or even Utah, all of that would be absolutely fine with me. So in a week where I specifically, look, I'm giving two of these teams very high expectation. I specifically thought Florida State and Ohio State could really impress me. And look, nice wins, really good wins, both on the road, both against teams that look like they're legit. But it really didn't get me where I thought I would be going into the week. And so – we talked about it in regards to the Heisman. No one stepped up in regards to the playoffs. I don't know if anyone stepped up. I'm still left with more questions than answers. I did not think that would be the case when we started this week. Wave Gordon, we got nine more weeks, man. I mean, I know that we, uh, it's just been a crazy week. It was a crazy week last week. We got another crazy week coming up this week. This is college football at its finest. 
You know, this is the way that college football should be. And I think that college football is at its best when we have no idea who's the best team in the country or what the hell is going to happen next, because that's just my favorite part about this sport. But I think it benefits from a clear front runner. Uh, and then three, teams. we have a clear front runner. I think Georgia is still the clear front runner. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I get what sloppy. you're They've looked sloppy. But they've still dominated in the end. They've dominated. I guess what I mean is, I, I find it. Three, easy. three of them are not very good. I find it easy to believe Georgia can get into the playoffs and lose a game. I, I think I like trying to figure out how a team could possibly stop so and so from winning the championship. And, mm. and that, from that aspect, I don't have that this year. Um, but look. Like you said, it's still early in the season. We're we're barely twenty five percent of the way. Someone's going to step up and get on a run where everything clicks and they look dominant. Whether that's Georgia, whether that's someone else, remains to be seen. But someone, we're not going to be sitting here Thanksgiving being like, I don't know who the best team is. Someone's going to become an apparent best team in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, or at least we'll get a top tier, at the yeah. very least. Well, we have a long way to go, and I hope all of you stick with us because every single Monday, college football overtime is going to be coming right at you. So you got to subscribe. Make sure you subscribe here and set those notifications for every single Monday because then we can wake up. You can wake up with some college football. I know I, I know those Atlanta roads. You can listen to 92 on the game, but just in case you want to, you know, have some college football conversation and know what to talk about whenever the folks start bringing up college football, just, you know, give us a listen. We got, we know some things. We know a thing or two. So for Abe Gordon, I'm Garrett Chapman. This is college football overtime week four. Oh my God. Over 25% of the way through the season. It feels like in just a minute, it's going to be all, the, all all over and we'll be entering the cold months. And ugh, I can't even imagine that. Don't but break my heart. Gordon, I'm Garrett Chapman. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.